the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God says, and what you have done in the dark places that no one else has seen, I'm going to shout on the rooftops of heaven one day. Hello and welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be sharing God's truth right from the Bible, teaching you life lessons you may not want to hear, but you need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study from the book of Genesis. It's good to hold your feelings accountable. It's good to hold your emotions accountable. Sometimes you just wake up. You don't even want to get out of bed. You don't even want to pull the covers over your head and just lay there and just like don't want to deal with anything. All this COVID, all this problems, all this. It's like you're just like, oh, man, I just don't even want to mess with it anymore. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it's like, so you have to hold your emotions and your feelings accountable. You got to get up and look at yourself in the mirror and say, why are you in despair, oh, my soul? Why are you so bummed out? It's like, no, you don't just go to the doctor and take more drugs. It's like, wait a second, why? I'm going to hold you accountable. Why are you in despair? Because the psalmist of Psalm 42, he was agitated. He was upset. He was surrounded by trouble. Yet he knew where to turn. That's why he said in Psalm 42, 1, he says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants after you, O God. Notice he didn't say, as the camel pants after the water brooks, because the camel doesn't pant after the water brooks. Do you know that a camel can go like a whole week in 100 degree weather and not drink one drop of water? It's because when he does drink, he can drink like, you know, 200 gallons of water and he just stores it in his body. So he can walk across a desert for a week and not take one drink. But that's not how the deer is. The deer is like you and me. We have to have a drink. In fact, if a human being doesn't have water for three days, you die. So we have to drink. We have to have that water that refreshes us. Yes, camels don't long after the water brook, but those Deers do because they're just like us, just like us. Yes, and how did the writer end Psalm 42? Listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, why are you in despair, O my soul? Again, this is the third time he's asking himself. He says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. That's the answer. You, when you find yourself up against the wall, when you find yourself sinking in quicksand, Pastor, there's no quicksand in Los Angeles. Well, give me a medal because I just found some. I'm sinking in it. And it's like when you find yourself in that place, you force yourself, you drive yourself. I am going to sit before the Lord and I am not going to leave until he restores my soul. 
That's God's desire for you and for me. It's an exhortation to us all who are desperate. Yes, we are to put our hope in the one who holds our hearts and our lives in his hands. Now, getting back to Judah, he needed to get away. He needed a place of refuge. So in verse 2, he marries a Canaanite woman, and she starts having babies like Octomom. Just She's just pumping out one verse at a time. First, the first one's named Ur, which means watcher. And as we will see, he seems to be a watcher of everything evil. And second, she has Onan, which means strong. He ends up being strong-willed, but not for the right things. And third is Shelah, which means a masculine name. Now, notice how time is flying by. Because by verse 6, 20 years is blown by. (laughs) It's like you're just reading these verses, and Ur's born, and then now he's getting ready to have a wife and be married. I mean, it's like two decades blows by. And Judah picks a wife for Ur, who was just born, again, three verses ago. Many times in the Bible, we read of miracles, many miracles, like in the book of Acts. You're reading through the book of Acts. It's like, oh, miracle after miracle after miracle. But the book of Acts is recording the life of Peter and of Paul. And it went through decades of time. So when you just sit down and you read through the book of Acts, you're like, oh, man, miracles, miracles, miracles. Well, there was miracles, but they happened over several decades of time. So we just have to remember that when we're reading God's word. Yes. And then, of course, it seems like, you know, when we find ourselves in these ruts and nothing's happening, we're thinking, well, yeah, we pick up the Bible and all this happens so quickly. Well, hold on. There was a lot of time that was passing in between. But we must understand when we read, it's like God wants to do things in our lives and he wants to show us that, yes, there's times of waiting and then there's times of receiving. There's times of praying and there's times of waiting. All of these things, but there has to be the wait time in between the blessing time. But if you read the word and you trust in God and you lay your soul before him, the blessing always comes. It always comes. Well, anyway, as we move on here, we read again, we have now the oldest son of Judah, Ur, the firstborn. He marries this young woman named Tamar, who, by the way, ends up, get this, this woman, Tamar, ends up being in the genealogy of the Messiah Savior, Jesus Christ. How does that happen? It's crazy, but we're all going to see it unfold here. Which brings up our second point, choosing to not obey. Let's go ahead and read and pick up again in Genesis 38, picking up in verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord took his life. Well, that's pretty blunt. (laughs) It's like he did evil, God killed him. Okay, moving on. Verse 8. Then Judah said to Onan, that's his second son, go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. And Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order to not give offspring to his brother. Verse 10. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, and he took his life also. Okay, 
Round two, you're dead. Okay, moving on. Verse 11. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house. Go back to your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I'm afraid that he too may die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. Wow. Okay. So what did this oldest son, Ur, do? I mean, was he just life embedded in total rebellion? Was he a worshiper of false gods? Was he a thief and a liar? Well, we're simply not told. One thing for sure, though, there was a bitter root in this young man. The name Ur, again, means watcher. He must have been a watcher of and participator in wicked deeds and things. For God is a God of mercy. And somehow God wiped this kid out. Now, this is where some will say, you know, I just don't understand that. That's just not fair. It's like, you know, God is unjust. It's like, uh, excuse me, God is never unjust. Oh, yeah, well, how could God just take this kid? I was witnessing to a guy one time, and he started defending Judas Iscariot. And he says, you know, Judas, you know, he picked the short straw. It's like God had to have somebody because it was prophesied that somebody, one of his own people, would turn him in. So poor Judas, you know, he was the one because it was prophesied that someone would, would turn code on him and would cause him to be crucified. So, you know, he was defending Judas. And I said, well, let me tell you about Judas Iscariot. What a worthless dog he was. Okay, not only was he stealing money because he was the one that held the money bag for the disciples. He was stealing money there, but he turned coat on Jesus Christ, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, the cost of a common slave. And it's like, no mercy for him. Hey, put him in a banana peel going straight to hell in a handbasket. And it's just like the guy's looking at me like, uh, what? You know, it's like, see... There's times that in our own logic, we could think, oh, God is not merciful here. He killed this person or killed that person. And oh, that poor person. It's like uh, every single one of us deserve to die. There is none righteous, no, not one. Oh, sure. Some of us are better than some others. Some have more sin in their life than what we might have. But every one of us, do we understand That there's none that will stand in front of God in their own works because there is none righteous. There's not one person that has done totally right. There's 613 laws in the Torah, in the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of God. And so there's 613 laws. So on any given day when you're breaking or I'm breaking two or 300 of them, okay, it's like we're guilty. Now, some people are better than others, granted. But it's like none of us are perfect. The only person that gets into heaven is perfection. We say, well, pastor, who can get to heaven? Nobody. That's the whole point. No one can get to heaven. So, so Jesus came and bore our sin on his body so that we could be forgiven and we can go to heaven. So really, when you say anything, anyone that says God is not just, first of all, you don't know all the details. Like we're not told what Ur did. But if God killed him, you can say he was a dirty rat. 
There was something in his life. Because God sees everything, not just how you present yourself to everyone. You know, we get up in the morning, we take a shower, we do our hair, we shave, we put makeup on. Well, not, I didn't put any makeup on, but, yeah, yeah. but the ladies put makeup on. I guess some guys do now too, but whatever. Okay, we're not going there. We're not going to get on that soapbox. But anyway, but the point is we present ourselves Da-da. But God says, I see everything you've done in darkness. And what you have done in the dark places that no one else has seen, I'm going to shout on the rooftops of heaven one day. How does that make you feel? Not good for me. Since chills down my spine. Like, I want my sin forgiven because I know there is sin that's happened multiple times. And I don't want it to be shouted on the rooftop of heaven. If anything, God could just say, you know what? I'm done with humanity. They've all sinned. They're, they're, they, they've all been blasphemous at times in their life. I'm just going to just wipe them all out and I'll go on to another project. But he doesn't. It's through his mercy and his grace. God loves us with his unmerited favor that he comes to us. He's willing to forgive us of our sin. It's not willing. God's not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. So don't ever sit there and think, oh, God was unjust and anything. No, he's never unjust. You just have to stop, take a couple steps back and say, well, I don't know what that person did, or I don't know what that people group did. I don't know what's going on. I don't have all the details, but one thing I do know is God is merciful. Why? Because he saved me, and he forgave me of my sins. Yes, somewhere in Ur's rebellion, he crossed the line. He went too far. He lived a lifestyle that hardened and calloused his tender heart. Again, we're not told what he did, but whenever God causes someone to drop dead instantly, you can take it to the bank that there was a good reason for it. Know this, we should all, every one of us, pay special attention to this. For sin blinds us, and it will cause us to neglect the conscience that God had put inside of us. It will, sin will cause us to forsake our feelings of guilt and abandon all the warnings that we receive from the Holy Spirit. You ever get those feelings inside? Hey, you shouldn't do that. I wouldn't go there. And you do them anyway? Mm-hmm. See, that's the conscience that God gave us. Could you imagine if we had no guilt feelings? You never felt guilty? Yeah, I just killed my next door neighbor. He wouldn't loan me his lawnmower. Yeah, whatever. You know, I guess he won't do that again. You know, it's like, I mean, it's like, come on. It's like those guilt feelings inside. You should thank God every time you feel guilty. Because it's like, if you didn't have those, just think what a dirty rat you would be. It's like, oh my goodness. We would abandon all those things that God puts in our way to keep us from sinning. Yes, like I've said in times past, Sin will always take us farther than we want to go. It will always keep us longer than we want to stay. And get this, sin will always cost you more than you want to spend. Always, always, always. So if you're touring with something that you know is wrong, there's something that you're doing in your life right now that you know is wrong, and you're playing with that thing that God said is sin, don't think for a second that you're not going to get it burned in the end. The Christian and the non-Christian will reap what they sow. You'll reap what you sow. You know, there was this, you know, maybe you're stealing from your employer. It's like, well, you know, hey, they're not paying me enough. They owe it to me. And you're kind of stealing a little here, stealing a little there, just kind of making up. It's like, watch out, because one day you'll get caught and you'll get fired. We had a, 
He's a good friend, you know, and I, I do believe he was a Christian. I mean, I talked to him multiple times, and he was a sweet guy. He was a good guy, but uh, he ran the, the truck department, the shop uh, at the big company that I worked for back east, and I remember he got fired one day, and I'm like, what? How did he get fired? Like, what happened? Well, what he was doing was someone would come in and bring their truck in for repair, you know, uh, you know, Isuzu trucks and Hino trucks and all of this. And they'd come in, they'd have like a $1,500 or $2,000 repair bill. And then he would get them to pay him a couple hundred bucks on the side. And then he would go into the computer, manipulate the hours and all of that and drop the bill down five or 600 bucks. So they pay 200 bucks, save 500 bucks. And so he was doing this and who knows how long he was doing it. Well, one day, you know, the, uh, not the owner of the company, but the president of the company was right under the owner and he was a younger guy. So he was uh, there uh, in the truck department and no one was there behind the counter. And this guy came in to pick up his truck and he said, yeah, how can I help you? Yeah, I'm here to pick up my truck. So hey, what's your name? Okay. And he pulled up the order goes, oh yeah, okay, that's $1,800. He goes, well, okay, well, here's my, you know, well, what's this? He goes, well, you know, you got 200 bucks and you're going to knock off another 500, you know? And he's like, he's like, oh, is that, is that what we usually do? And he goes, yeah, that's what you do every time. It's like, oh, okay, that's nice. No, your bill's 1800 bucks. Okay. And the guy got fired. And, you know, it was really sad because, you know, I, he, I think he was a good guy, but somewhere along the line, he crossed the line. And then he went a little farther with it. And then they just kept doing it. You know, when you first do something wrong, you know, you, oh, oh, oh so, I, I shouldn't have done that. Oh. And then all of a sudden you do it again, then you do it again, then you do it again. And then all of a sudden you callous over those feelings and it becomes easier and easier you know, he had a daughter that had uh, health issues and everything, and uh, she was handicapped. And, you know, he was the last guy that needed to lose a job right there, but he did. Yes, Christians will reap what they sow also. But here's the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. If the Christian says, I repent, God, I'm sorry, and you truly and you change your ways, guess what? Now God forgives you. Now he washes you clean. And you can be washed clean of your failures and your sins, and you can be completely forgiven. We're told in Acts 3.19, repent therefore and return to the Lord. See, this was written for someone who walked away from the Lord, because he says, repent and return. You can't return to something you never knew. He says, repent therefore and return to the Lord, so your sin may be forgiven, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I wonder if there's anyone that's here today or someone watching online that you need a refreshing of the Lord today. Well, you can have that before this study is over. But getting back to our text, so Ur is gone. God drop slams him. He's history. So Judah asked his second son to step in and marry Tamar. Why? Because in this day, it was customary that if an older son died, the next brother would come in if he, had, if he was not married, and he would marry this woman, and then he would be able to produce at least a son for his brother to carry the name on. See, we see this in Deuteronomy 25.5. It says this, when brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family. See, she stays in the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as a wife and perform 
the duty, okay, of the husband's brother for, for her. And it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of the dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. That's simple enough, right? I mean, it's pretty straightforward. The firstborn will take on your brother's name. That means the first baby that you have. That takes on your brother's name to carry on his name. Then the rest of the children are yours. This is your wife, and you just have kids, and the rest is yours. It's only the firstborn. But Onan, who was extremely short-sighted, said, "Uh, yeah, let me think about that. Uh, no. Not going to happen, not with me. I'm looking at Susie down the street. I don't want Tamar. Okay, so it's not going to happen. So remember, his name means strong. And all he's proving here is that he is strong-willed. He says no to his dad, Judah. But more importantly, he says no to the Lord. We should never say no to the Lord. It's just like when people come to core church, they will get mad at me. You know how many people leave here and they they can't stand me. They'll say, I talk too much about sin, which I've been talking about this whole time here. (laughs) They say that I quote the Bible too much, which I've done a lot so far. That will point out people's sin. Know this, all I'm doing is telling you exactly what God has said and how he tells us to live in his word. Look, I didn't write the book. (laughs) Yes, I didn't write the book. I didn't pin one word of the Bible. My calling as a pastor teacher is to tell you the truth. Jesus said, I will set you apart in the truth. My word is truth. If you have a problem with that, your problem is not with me. Your problem is with God. That's what your problem is. I had a blonde haired girl back here and, you know, about 30 years old. He came up to me and says, you know, pastor, I I, I like the way that you teach because I really understand what you're saying, but I don't like what you're saying. And I said... Oh, really? I said, well, which part don't you like? And she says, well, you need to become more progressive. See, this is the problem with the church today, because there's a whole progressive wing of the church. You know what the progressive Christianity says? This is what it says. I'm a Christian. I believe in the Bible. Oh, that's great. But, you know, a woman has a right in her body, it's her body, so she can have an abortion. Oh, and, you know, this lifestyle that God says was sin, well, you know, there's laws now. This is legal. And, you know, these people love each other, and they can do whatever they want to do. And so, you know, and it's like, so they all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute. I thought you said you're a Christian. Yes, I am. I thought you said you believe in the Bible. Yes. Yeah, well, the Bible says this is sin. Oh, well, I don't believe that. Oh, so you don't believe in the Bible. Well, no, I, I just, I don't believe that because, you know, times are changing, and we have to change. It's like, yeah, but the Bible says God stays the same. He never changes. So what was sin 3,500 years ago is still sin today. So that doesn't change. Oh, no, but I don't believe that. Oh, but then you don't believe the Bible. No, I believe the Bible. No, you don't believe the Bible. (laughs) And so that's the whole point. See, you cannot have progressive Christianity. So when you come to Christ as your Savior, it's an all or nothing. It's all or nothing. So if you come to Christ, like we had a lady that was fellowshipping here for a long time, and we got into a big debate about uh, abortion. And she said, well, my mom who's passed away, says that abortion is, is right and, and, and legal because, you know, we don't want women losing their life in back alleys. And I said, well, hey, look, I don't want any woman losing her life in a back alley. But maybe that woman should be thinking about what she's doing while she's sleeping with someone before she's married and not having a baby. Okay, so, you know, you know it's like, I, look, I know it's a, it's a mess of a situation, but it's like, what about the right 
of the little girl that's inside of that woman that's getting aborted. What about her rights, you know? And so anyway, she left the church because I made a stand on that. And I'm like, well, look, God's the one that says in Psalm 139. He says that in Isaiah, it says in multiple places in the Bible that God formed us in our mother's womb. We don't have the right to go in and extinguish that life because we decided to go out and live in sin and, you know, have, uh, you know, premarital sex and what have you. It's like, look, you know, it's it's all a mess. I, I, I I understand that. But we can't do that. And so, you know, so she left the church. And I'm like, well, look, I, I don't want you to leave the church. But, but it's like your problem, just understand, is not with me. Your problem is with God. So when we come to know Christ, and maybe some of these things I've said thus far in this study today, maybe you think, well, I don't agree with that, and I don't agree with that, and I don't agree with that. It's like, well, listen, you study those things out in the Scripture, and when you see that God is unchanging in those things, you have to understand, you have to change the way you think. You're thinking like, well, no, I'm not going to change the way I think. Well, that's what it means to be a Christian. You have to surrender. Remember what Jesus said when coming to Christ. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, they have to die to themselves, take up the cross and follow me. And if you choose to save your life, you'll lose it. And if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. So it's like, that's why a lot of people that say that they're Christians today, they're not Christians. And that's why when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, there's going to be many that come to me on the day of judgment and say, oh, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? He says, "Um, actually, I don't even know you. I don't know who you are. Depart from me. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. 